You know, many of us fear darkness and we fear the unknown. And right now in history, there's great uncertainty at this moment. And so we are residing within the unknown, within the darkness. What we want to be able to do is to sit with that, because as we sit with that, we make it known. We make the unknown known. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 89, The Gathering Fire, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Diana Rowan, author of The Bright Way, Five Steps to Freeing the Creative Within from New World Library. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Fifteen years ago, I was asked to speak to a group of graphic design students about creativity in the field of graphic communications. As I sat down to draft my presentation, I asked myself, what is creativity and where does it come from? This question led me down a track far outside the field of graphic design, on into the nature of reality itself, and I come to believe that creativity was an actual spiritual force, not unlike love and that when tested, it could be seen manifesting in kaleidoscopic ways throughout creation. If I were going to speak to these students about creative design, then I would have to speak to them honestly about the nature of creativity and how design proves the existence of this ordered, balancing, and glorious force. Not only is this creative principle in us, but it is outside of us. When we recognize it, connect to it, and apply it, wonders emerge. That all sounds fantastic, doesn't it? And one would think that the realization alone would change your life, happily ever after. Well, that's not the case, at least not for me. Knowing isn't doing, and I, like many, got stuck. I still get stuck. Sometimes creative momentum takes a full stop, and getting the creaking pipes flowing again can be a real challenge. This is precisely why, I believe, special beings like Diana Rowan, Author of The Bright Way, Five Steps to Freeing the Creative Within, are born into this world. They're here to help the rest of us get unstuck, to get the elements of our creativity harmonizing again. Part story and part call to action, her book could motivate even the most passive creative among us. Because her Bright Way method is elemental in nature, it is easy to adopt, apply, and understand because the metaphorical reminders exist all around us. As you'll learn in her book and in this conversation, Diana is no stranger to being stuck herself. Her Bright Way path draws together the teachings of wisdom traditions from around the world in a fresh and palatable way. I was not surprised to learn that Diana is an accomplished harpist. It complements her kind and ethereal tones as she shares what she has learned. If you've ever poured sand on the fire of your own inspiration, then heed the advice of Diana Rowan. Creativity is in you, particular to you, waiting on you to say yes. Your creativity wants to be loosed on the world and lead you along a brighter, lovely way. Now, tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up this morning, dreaming of the story I can hear, the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep, on the path to your deliverance, and a holy ball of light, through the window. Old news, bad news, fake news, 
Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. Yeah, so your book was put in front of me, and I got really excited before I even read the book because I'd never seen a method like this before. And I think what really excited me the most was the elemental nature of the program. I want to talk about that a lot today, but before we get into all of that, if you could just give me and my listeners a little welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me today. My name is Diana Rowan, and I'm originally from Ireland, but I grew up all over the world, and now I live in Berkeley, California. And at a young age, I realized I wanted to be a musician. You know, music was completely my life, uh, but I suffered very badly from performance anxiety. And this performance anxiety came on pretty fast. So I started music seriously when I was eight. And by the age of 10, I was actually really in the throes of performance anxiety. And as time went on, um, I kept being very, very serious about music and kind of hiding this problem that I had because I felt it was a bad sign. It was a sign that I wasn't chosen or I wasn't talented. All these things that we associate with creativity, you know, these kind of um, fixed mindset approaches like, oh, someone is born with a certain amount of talent, you know, there's a certain amount of giftedness, all these things that I totally don't believe anymore. But, you know, as a younger person, I wasn't really exposed to any other kind of thinking in some ways. So I carried on regardless, but at some point in college, when I was a music major there, I just felt like I cannot carry on like this. I'm going to have a very short life at this point. You know, I am so stressed and miserable all the time with this performance anxiety. And I actually gave up music completely. And I went into social welfare because I've always been very interested in the empowerment of people. I feel like we are all creatures of dignity. And we all have power within us. And we all have something to offer. And we all have the right to enjoy life, baseline. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think we should enjoy life. I think this is actually a value that I have, a very strong value. And as I worked in the social welfare context, it was battered women's shelters, homeless shelters, uh, healthcare centers. Um, and I was helping people you know, put their lives back together, I was like, well, uh, what exactly am I doing, <laughs> you know, sure. about what I care about? And in many ways, they taught me that reclaiming your personal power is front and center 
your most important thing to do in life. Because when you do, you find your internal strength and your internal truths, and that is always a good place. You know, it's always good news. It's sometimes yeah. people are afraid to look inside. They're gonna they think they'll find something horrifying. They won't. Yes, we may find some horrifying things about our personality and things that we might have done, but those aren't the real us. Those aren't the fundamental true essence that we are. And as time went on, I came to realize that creativity is one of the very best ways to reclaim your personal power and get to know your true self. And it's something we all have the capacity to do. So I love this. I love this topic. Uh, and in a roundabout way, I think I've talked about this with a lot of guests, but I never really have read a work like yours that really convalesced everything together. So you, you're talking about creativity, and I, I've always had this sense that creativity is a lot like love. I consider love a, a force, you know, just like yes. anything else in the universe. Like we, we scientifically can think of forces, but I've always felt that love was a force. But I had this sense that creativity is like that as well. It is a force, and it's it's in us. It's not just, oh, I'm creative, like in a really frivolous or uh, simple way. Or maybe it is simple sometimes, but it's an actual – it's in our cells. It's in us. We're, we're created to create. We're a part of that process. And I guess in your book – let me get let me get back to the book there for a second. I, I love the beginning of the book because you kind of get into that story about yourself. And I'm always fascinated with stories like that because I find that there's these sort of high notes that seem to match other people's stories. You talk about – in your book, darkness being your friend, right? And I got yes. really sucked into that part because I kind of <laughs> went through something like that about 20 years, 20, 20 or so years ago. And that's a hard thing to explain that the, the hard, dark, maybe even gloomy place is actually the thing that led you to the light. And yes. so I don't know that's kind of in another portion of the book way away from the beginning but if you could for for my sake and for the for the listeners you know maybe talk about that a little bit because I felt like you did such a good job in the book of explaining that. Yeah, thank you. And and just to also go to your point about creativity and love. I mean, I do feel that creativity is the expression of love. It is the expression of connection. And to me, connection is love, true connection in sacred reciprocity, not like a one-way, ah, yes. not a one-way drain, right? Yeah. So yeah. I love what you're saying. And I, and I hope we can talk more about that too, because I just, uh, yeah, I'd love yeah. to riff on that with you. just said sacred reciprocity, and I want to get onto yeah. that too. I, yeah, I, I, I know. So much fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, many of us fear darkness and we fear the unknown and right now in history you know we are may 26th uh, 2020 there's great uncertainty at this moment and so we are residing within the unknown within the darkness and what we want to be able to do is to sit with that because as we sit with that we make it known we make the unknown known we make the uncertain, certain to 
A degree. You know, to a large degree, we will never know many, many things. Like towards the end of the book, I speak about how more than 95% of the universe is unknown. So if we are going to fear the unknown, if we're going to fear darkness, we are going to fear most of life. We are not going to be able to live our lives. So darkness for me is very much uh, the unknown and it is going into those places where we aren't certain. Now, we may feel fear around those things, but we want to be able to look at those things without fear as our primary emotion. We want to feel love instead. But what does that really look like? That looks like connection to me. We want to actually connect to the situation and say, okay, I'm in this place. I feel this certain uh, anxiety right now. Let me feel it. I will feel that anxiety. I will go there into that darkness. You know, as Thich Nhat Hanh says about anger, for example, he says, take care of your anger. Don't shove it aside. Pretend that it's a crying baby. You're not going to throw that baby aside. You're going to take it in your arms and you're going to say, I hear you and I'm listening to you and I don't know why you're crying right now, but I am going to be there for you and I'm going to stick through this with you. And to me, this is what facing darkness is and embracing it, because when we do that, we get great insights. We realize, oh my goodness, I've been pursuing these dreams that were not really my dreams. I have been uh, a very low-level example here, not, not very dramatic, being stuck inside now uh, for since March 9th, actually, uh, I started to look around my house uh, and look at it for the first time in many ways. I've lived here for almost 20 years. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't quite reflect me. Uh, huh. I don't feel that connected to it. And so we've actually redone the entire house. That's why I had to wash my hands when we first <laughs> were meeting because I had forgotten that I stained the door and then I closed the door. <laughs> Got a big, oh. you know. Uh, yeah. So, um if I hadn't stopped and listened to that um, that lack, that that emptiness to some degree that I had inside just about my house, and again, this is a very mundane example, but it can look this mundane. You know, if I hadn't stopped, I would still be in the same situation as I was before with a house where I was like always just going out to cafes and things like that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So for me, you know, looking at, at darkness, the unknown, it gives you great insight as to what you really care about. And as you tackle these um, feelings of uncertainty, as you tackle the unknown, not only do you get great inspiration, but you also get great confidence because you learn how to cope with situations that are challenging, you get resilience in life. You know, if we're constantly running away from the darkness that is inside us and around us, the unknown, then uh, we don't gain any kind of courage. You know, we're, we we actually reinforce that fear, ironically, that has had been riding so high in our culture for so long. And I feel now... Um, People are actually finding great strength within themselves because push has come to shove finally. And, and they're like, OK, actually, I'm still standing. Actually, yeah. you know, I'm I've got many more resources 
inside me than I thought I ever did. Yeah, well, speaking of resources, that jars uh, my mind on the part of your book where you talked about looking for your allies. I really enjoyed that because that's something in a way – uh, in a way, I can honestly connect this work, this this podcast, to everything you're writing in that book. Uh, and in fact, it's motivating me to think about what I want from this in a different way, because I've suffered from some of the same things that you outlined. You know, it's kind of where I was going with there's these high notes where you go, oh, I can connect to that, even though – our um, our gifts may have not been the exact same. I went through a lot of the same things. I've, I've talked about with many guests on this show at length my crippling and social anxiety, you know, which is a very odd thing. People think, oh, well, you're you're on this show. It's 100 <laughs> episodes deep. You don't have social anxiety. I'm going to no, that's not true at all. I mean, I had crippling social anxiety. And to be honest, I mean, sometimes even still – Mm-hmm. Stepping out front is a difficult thing because, <laughs> as you talk about in your book, you know, all the markers are there. Fear is definitely a big one. It just – it becomes sort of this consuming note that's all you can hear that tells you how you're not going to do good at this. You're not going to say the right thing. You're not going to ask the right question. And ultimately, at the heart of it all, all I ever really want to do is have a healthy conversation filled with mm-hmm. curiosity and wonder and help – other people I love find that. that same thing. It's very simple, right? On, it, on the you surface. Know, uh, yeah, I think it's simple on the surface. And I actually think it's simple on the deepest level as well. I feel like everything really does boil down to very much the same thing. Everything boils down to connection, that we want to make genuine connections to ourselves to others, to our world at large, and how we choose to do it. Yeah, those will be changes of detail, but those are just changes of detail. You know, for the system that I speak about in the book, it applies even to running your business. You know, it does not mean playing the harp or painting paintings. You know, fundamentally, there are universal needs that we all have, and I believe that when we express those needs, um, we feel connected and therefore fulfilled. So I think, you know, it always does come back to connection. And yes, you know, there will be little moments where we, you know, experience maybe even a a severe anxiety about something. But as long as we know what our purpose is, which is step one of the system, then, you know, when you said, well, my purpose is to have a conversation where I feel connected and that we are enlightening each other. When you remember that, then the anxiety just takes a really far back seat where it very much deserves to be in that yeah. back seat, you know, way yeah. far back, you know, perhaps in the boot of the car, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, a layered work like your book, The Bright Way, uh, to me is a beautiful expression of that because you do tell your story in there, but it's a layered work because in telling your story and what you do clarify that very quickly in the book that all of our stories are connected yes you know to each yeah. other our your story is connected to my story and so on and so forth um i love that you kind of walk us through in the book through little uh, moments in your life where you give us an example but then the other part of that is that there's something to do right i mean it's an yeah. action that can be taken and the other thing about that action is, and I love the visual of it, is that it's it's nonlinear. Mm-hmm. You know, you brought that up That's to right. get out of linear time. I'm a big advocate 
of nonlinear thinking and not looking at time on a line. And so when you when you hit that note in your book, I really resonated with that. And I couldn't wait to kind of get into the process because I thought, oh, this is going to be really good. And I love that your process is not that not a thing that you just turn the dial and finish. Right. You're not just done. You can keep making the cycle over and over again and then continue to keep going through an energy loop in a way is kind of high digital visualize it where energy builds and creativity builds and and it manifests into some good work and then it makes another cycle again and it just keeps growing and becoming something new all the time because creativity doesn't stop right absolutely it's always a process so i take nature as one of our greatest examples of creativity nature is basically a template for creativity that we can use and and nature works in cycles and likewise if we go in cycles when there are times when we're very uh, much generating things generating results and then there are times when we're more internal where we're composting where we're getting ready we you know we're gathering everything together when we go through these different cycles then we gain a much more sustainable and inspiring kind of creativity um, and as a result we actually get more beautiful products out of it but it, those are almost like a side effect it's very much like the flower is the side effect of the the plant the point is the plant the point is that process it's not just the flower if you cut the flower off it will die you know the flower is simply a result of the whole process. So I definitely see creativity as a process, not a product. Yeah, you get products along the way, and those are fantastic and fun, and we're going to celebrate those things. Uh, But without the process, there's no product at all. And I think we get very stuck on the products in our culture. We think just about the end result. Mm -hmm. And not only is that exhausting, because you're not happy until you get to that result, but you're not really there for the process. You're not giving your all because you're not really present for that process. So for me, this is what uh, spiral learning, spiral creating is... And and just to speak a little bit about uh, what you mentioned about the stories, there's a great phrase called, in the specific is the universal. As we teach specific examples, you know, I have many examples from other people's lives where this is what happened to Janet, you know, this is what happened to Messiah. And the more specific I am, the more successful it is, because... Even though we may be in a completely different field than those people, there's something magical about the specific. We feel like, oh, this is a real person, a real experience, and I trust it. I feel connected to that. Mm. Rather than if I just say something general like, choose love, not fear. (laughs) I mean, nobody's going to disagree with that. But it's so so general, so nonspecific, that it actually has almost zero effect. It's non-universal. But in the more specific that we are, the more universal the result, the more people actually relate to it, you know, on a grand scale. It's a very interesting and strange thing. Yeah. You you talk in the book a lot about, is it sacred reciprocity? Am I saying that yeah. properly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That was a really fascinating thing for me because I connected with that as well. You know, I, I'll give you a little 
little story about me so you can see where, where I took. Uh, I love it. Notes. I love it. In so, the specific, <laughs> it's the universal. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I want to note this. I, I It reminded me, I'm reading the book of the five rings by Miyamoto Masashi. Mm-hmm. And he says in the book several times to, to know one thing well is to know 10,000 things. And I love that. I it's totally stuck. agree. Yeah. I think that's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thinking. Everything yeah. does seem connected, and it's sometimes that seems outrageously simple. But as you, as you're showing, uh, there are many facets to it, and you know our our human nature has a funny way of, of making things complicated. <laughs> oh sure, like I I was I grew up as an as an artist, an artistic child. You know, I thought um, that I was going to be a cartoonist when I grew up. I was going to work in animation or comics or movies or something like that. Somewhere along the way, I was convinced that I was going to have a hard life if I tried to go that route because it was going to be a lot of work. So I got a lot of fear signals and I listened to those fear signals. And so I got into advertising because everybody kept telling me, you know, you really need to get into advertising. It's creative. You'll like it. And, you know, I've been doing that for 20 plus years and the reality is, and you talk about this in your book, I mean, not, not my industry specifically, but the reality is I when I looked at myself as one thing, I found 10,000 things, as, as I just said. And I realized in a very dark time when I did look deeply at myself and realized I didn't really know who I was. And it really made me question the identity that I had I had formed. And, you know, 20 years ago as a young person, I was it confused me. It frightened me. But in that cracking, I, I looked into the darkness and saw all kinds of lack, right? And then all of a sudden, as you a similar experience you had, it was like all this light rushed in. Yeah. And I think I saw myself for the first time. And so wow. I've been chasing what I saw for 20 years. But at the same time, it's been a healthy combination of uh, enlightenment and fear, right? Like really, maybe everybody goes through that. We probably all do some combination and different variations throughout your life of a lot of enlightenment and a lot of fear. But I find that a lot of my decisions were made out of fear. So I, I've always described this to some, the, the clients that I felt comfortable with. I said, you know, the advertising industry for me has sort of been double edged. I feel like I've taken this soft brain that's filled with all this color and and light and ideas, and it wants to flow and go and work and create and build and, and connect. And then I'm trying to shove that into a carburetor and make a car run. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it doesn't yeah. – and it, and it will run but it doesn't run forever, right? It's And so I guess in the last three years of my life, uh, I've been reflecting on that, and I'm realizing that how many decisions I've made out of fear. And so that was really where the show was kind of born. So I guess that's why I love connecting with your work, because it really hits all these notes for me about why I finally said, okay – I don't want to throw away the things I've learned for 20 years. Maybe there's some value there, some still some creative value. But if I pointed at something that's actually more towards that person I met 20 years ago in that fear tunnel I was in, maybe a new thing will be born and it'll be more in that sacred reciprocity zone where it's like, oh, the, the fear, I don't feel fear. I don't, 
all I feel, I feel yeah. love and connection. And so I noticed that with this particular communication slash advertising work, which is this podcast that I go, oh, I'm actually feeling all those old to, to use maybe the harp, the notes are being plucked, you know, the strings are being plucked mm-hmm. and I'm hearing a sound that is more uh, in alignment with who I think I might maybe really am at my core. And so your book, I guess, connected with me personally in that way, in a big way. Thank you. Wow. I'm so pleased to hear that. Yeah. It's amazing when people connect to themselves, what they know, what they find out that people do know what they want, I believe. Uh, And people do all, everyone has a purpose without a doubt. And once you connect to yourself, you will hear your purpose. It will come out. And that is step one of the system. And so I talk about how to how to do this. It's far less complicated than it might seem. You know, it seems very lofty. You know, define your purpose. Oh, my goodness. You know, lifelong right. quest. But it's not. It's already inside you. And as you mentioned, you know, you had it 20 years ago. In fact, you had it when you were born. And so it's just a question of reaccessing it. And I really like the way you're saying, you know, that even though you had gone off on a slightly different path, it wasn't a dead loss. I'm a big fan of cross training. And I think a lot of the skills that we have built, even if they aren't technically part of the thing that we have the most passion for, they will absolutely pertain to it one way or another. It's it's not a waste of time. I think this what you've done in the past is not a waste of time. I think sometimes people fear tapping into, you know, their true selves and their true purpose because they're like, it might invalidate everything I've done in my life prior to this. That is not going to happen. You may radically change direction. It's true. But for everything that you know about what what you've done in the past, you can use it. I mean, look at Steve Jobs. He was like a calligrapher or something. You know, it was the idea of really paying attention to fonts that um, really gave him a whole different vision of what computers would look like and how they would feel. And now I'm speaking to you on, on a MacBook and I got my little iPhone here. I mean, calligraphy turned out to be a really great thing, although it was not what he eventually ended up doing. So, Again, I would say stepping away from fear. Don't be afraid that, oh, it might change my life completely and it's just going to throw it into utter chaos and invalidate what I did before. You know, it's not going to be like that. Well, you talk about that, right? I mean, using uh, the simple yardstick of choosing love or choosing fear. Yes. In your book and and in in that part about sacred reciprocity. And just for if we could talk about that for a minute. Yeah. That that really you have even a little diagram in the book, which is really <laughs> kind of similar to something my a conversation my wife and I've had throughout our relationship. You know, I was uh, and I'll again another story very short, but I was married before and I was in a relationship that now I can look at that and go, there definitely wasn't any sacred reciprocity mm. there. And the visualization I always had was of a circle. But in a, a relationship where there wasn't any sacred reciprocity, it was like we were both sort of half seas, not plugging in properly and almost like leeching off of each other. And you felt this drain and it caused conflicts and it sort of created almost like a toxic 
a toxic, not just relationship, but it affected other areas of the of your life as well. But once I got in a relationship with somebody, well, backing up, I had to almost have sacred reciprocity with myself, right? Yes. Like I needed to be a whole 100%. circle. Yes. And when I met my wife, it was like she was also a whole circle. And our image is now like sort of an infinity loop where those two circles <laughs> sort of come together and feed in a, in a constant flow Beautiful. of balance, right? But before being a half a, a half a circle was just like, give me, give me, give me. Yeah. Uh, I need to plug into somebody so I can get – it even reminded me of something else you talked about in the book. Like once you kind of get that jolt of – getting over the anxiety and, and maybe like, oh, no, I'm performing and people are giving me attention and it's positive attention. It was almost like a drug hit, right? It's like, oh, I feel good now, but I got to go do this again to get that right. back. Yes, exactly. Yes. So secret reciprocity is a concept that, you know, we find throughout time in many cultures. I learned it with the term sacred reciprocity from South American wisdom traditions. And it's the idea that things must be in balance in order to be healthy and sacred. So if we think about a relationship, it needs to be in balance in order to be healthy. It can't be a one-way drain. So if we think about, for instance, codependent relationships, those are not in sacred reciprocity because they are not in balance. So the currency of sacred reciprocity is vast. You know, you can use any type of energy to engage in sacred reciprocity. So for some people, you know, for instance, with their job, they get paid to do their job and they are paid in such a way that they feel it's right and it's in sacred reciprocity. We could have exactly the same job and the same amount of money, but that person is not being fed on a soul level. The job is not right for them. And actually that amount of money is not right. In fact, no amount of money would be right, you know, because it doesn't compensate for their soul not being fed. So, with sacred reciprocity, we look at how are things working in balance with each other. Uh, another term that people use are is right relationship. Are things yeah. in right relationship? And we we constantly verge towards right relationship. And when things are in right relationship in sacred reciprocity, then we are making good decisions and we're on a roll. Like when you talked about the infinity loop, yeah, we start to really celebrate life and not only celebrate, but expand the life force. When we're not in sacred reciprocity, the life force diminishes. Yeah. And so when we make decisions through the yardstick of, of sacred reciprocity, is this in sacred reciprocity or not, then we're making really healthy and life-affirming decisions from a place of love. Because ultimately, love to me is connection, true connection in sacred reciprocity. And we, when we make decisions from that place, it's all good. Yeah. It's interesting. I of all the different things that you talk about in your book, that was the big high note. And you just basically said that all so beautifully. And it, it was the thing that I took away the most was looking at things very consciously 
from that perspective, like everything, not just yeah. this, this work, but all the things I do. If I have a client with my advertising business, I want to, I want to look at now going forward when I take a meeting with, especially with a new client, look for the markers that indicate that this could be a sacred relationship from mm. that perspective. Is this going to, because I had, hadn't done that before. I did it from the survival aspect for two decades where it was like, oh, this is a good client because they can provide the certain level of income that I need to pay my bills and pay my mortgage and you know do the things my children need to do. And not that those things are bad. Those are a part of life. But that was the only dimension I was looking on. There was a, a level of frustration that I could feel building and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And I realized that now, especially after reading this book, that that was what was missing for me. It's like it was just very sterilized creative work. It wasn't in the right – with the right attitude or for the – I was not adding those other purposes in there. I wasn't going, okay, great. It's going to provide survival resources, but is it going to generate love and is it going to – invigorate me to want to create more, even for that client? Is it going to make me love what they do and love them? I, I, and I realize I'm looking for that. That's what I want. Right. Uh, yes. So to me, this is high creativity. You are really, really connecting with your client. You're connecting with what you're doing. I mean, can you imagine if, if all advertising campaigns were coming from that place? Oh, I know. You right? And you there do is, see works like that. You They're do. Like, oh, I mean, you get emotional. It's beautiful. You're drawn to act, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, one of my friends, uh, Cassandra, you know, in my early days of when I, you know, had to market some of my courses and I was like, oh, marketing, I'm so, I don't know what <laughs> right. to say. Oh my God. And she's like, right. marketing is telling people about something that will make their lives better. At the very least, it's a form of politeness, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's so much more than that. You know, it, it actually can be a great form of connection. And so, wow, that's just so exciting to hear. And it's interesting because you end up with a better result. You actually sure. a better relationship with your clients, better campaigns. Um, I would wager better results in the marketplace as well. Um, and we all start to live in a world that we want to live in. I mean, right, you know, right. a lot of why I wrote this book is that I want to see a world where everybody feels like they're living their purpose, whatever that happens to be. It doesn't have to be anything grand at all. You know, it's not about... Uh, achievement or competition. No, it's about really just living from that that place of of trueness to yourself. I mean, I think we all know people who um, are not famous and you know don't have a whole bunch of credentials, and you just love being around that person because they know who they are, and they are like um, they radiate love. And, and you love being around them. And they, they don't necessarily in this lifetime care to be well-known or anything like that. That's not part of their mission at all. Uh, doesn't matter. You know, you love them because of the energy that they radiate. And, you know, they become like a role model in many ways. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm helpless. Sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I have something I need to tell you about. You may or may not know this, but this podcast is produced in the city of Sulphur, Louisiana, one of the sister cities that make up Southwest Louisiana. All of my childhood memories are wrapped up in the city of Sulphur, 
It's my home, and it's been a good home for most of my life. There is a growing diversity of unique businesses, services, and events in Sulphur, each with a rich and colorful story to tell about their particular place in this little jewel on the west side of the Calcasieu River. My mission is to promote good news, to put a positive signal out in the world. That's why my team at Parker Brand Creative Services has created the new brand, Sulphur Today. Here's how it works. Post your Sulphur event, service, photos, videos, or information using the hashtag SulphurToday. That's it. My team and I will scan and curate those posts through the social media platforms we've put in place. Before you make your post, just type hashtag, that's a pound sign for the folks that don't know what a hashtag is, and the words Sulphur Today with no space. My team at Parker Brand is monitoring this tag right now, and they're ready to create positive digital curb appeal for our city by sharing all the very best Sulphur has to offer through the Sulphur Today social media pages. As the Sulphur Today project grows, we will be scheduling interviews and video sessions with businesses, events, and services so they can tell their story of Sulphur Today in a series of ongoing micro-documentaries. Look for the eye-catching Sulphur Today sign when you're out and about and be ready we may be stopping by to visit you for a photo op and don't forget to stop by the parker brand creative services studio in sulfur to grab a sulfur today decal for your vehicle or business we want people visiting our area to know that they can find all the wonderful things we have to offer with ease and be a part of our history by utilizing the sulfur today pages or by searching the sulfur today hashtag do you want to help us tell the story of sulfur today Here's what I need you to do right now. Visit and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sulfur today. And be sure to share positive sulfur information and post often using the hashtag sulfur today. Now, back to find the good news. You talked right at the beginning about grounding yourself and you, you described something that I actually love to do. It's one of my favorite things is to take my shoes off and put my feet in the soil or the sand or wherever I'm at and, and just try to really become conscious of the sensations that I'm feeling in my feet. And I, and on one level, that's great. It's nice to be aware of that. But the other thing is the grounding that it does, like connecting you to your place on earth and seeing you. It almost makes me feel a, more a part of the whole schema of everything, right? Like that spiral Absolutely. you mentioned. I feel like I'm yes. just a, I rose up out of the earth and I'm just one expression of creativity and, and we're all that. And it makes everything look beautiful. So I don't know, can you talk maybe, maybe <laughs> yes. about that a little bit? Definitely, yes. You know, when I used to hear about grounding, um, I was taking it quite literally as in, you know, standing on the ground or feeling more kind of earthy. And I'm a, a triple Aquarius, so I tend to be very airy, and I've got quite a bit of water as well. Um, but I came to realize that it's actually, sorry, my neighbor's driving okay. away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I came to realize that it is actually about connection, which is exactly what you said. When you stand on the earth, or perhaps put your hands in the earth, you feel that reconnection to the earth from which we've come, from which our bodies have come, and 
the unconditional love that the earth has for us. I mean, we walk out on the ground and we know it's going to be there. You know, yeah. even even if there's an earthquake, so I live in the Bay Area where there's lots of earthquakes, still most of the ground is there. Even if it moves sometimes, it's still there. We can count on it. And so even when it seems that everything in your life has fallen apart and your connections are all awry, you can reconnect to the earth from which you came and and know that there is a model of unconditional love right there, indisputable. And that's what I came to realize grounding really was. And then I could get behind it because then I'm like, oh, it's about reconnection. Yeah, there's something about that. And I, I sometimes can't really find the right words to describe it clearly, but I find that I'm kind of empathic, uh, probably highly empathic. And so I, I was really bad about picking up and carrying with me things that weren't mine. And that kind of grounding technique sort of by accident became my medicine is the best way I've described it as I go to the park and just f- – an isolated tree and just feel the grass against my skin and just sit there, you know, and let that, so, and and it really would take away um, the toxic sort of feelings that were maybe building up, not toxic necessarily, not all, but just charged and staticky. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. You know, when you reconnect, when you reconnect to yourself and to the earth, um, I think those things that are not true, become exposed and you realize, oh, I'm carrying this thing that's not mine. Or, you know, there's just certain thing happening that's really not in alignment with me. And mm-hmm. I see it now because I've reconnected to myself. Yeah. You know, as long as we're not connected to ourselves, we're really prey to all kinds of external fears and um, motivations and all kinds of things that aren't ours. But yeah. once we reconnect to ourselves, all kinds of truths start spilling out. You know, many yeah. connections illuminate that are very beautiful, but also disconnections, the light shines on them as well. And we realize, oh, this is not mine. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's true. I mean, that just again, it kind of gets into the, the darkness and the light where mm-hmm. you see that lack or you see. Where for me, I've always kind of thought of them as uh, broken wires or wires that are dangling and like sparking off of each other. And it's like this this isn't a good connection. Mm-hmm. There's a connection, but it's just not good and healthy. And if you touch it, it maybe could hurt you. It's like a, I don't know, just a, a broken or frayed, frayed wire. Right. Yeah, you're talking about elemental elements and the earth, and I think that might be a good segue to – I don't want to – I don't want to – I want people to read your book because you can't – you can get a lot from having a conversation like this, but the book is really worth the time to really dive into. But that was really what fascinated me the most, actually. I didn't know what your book – I didn't know what I was going to get into, and there was so much <laughs> in there. But when, but that was the initial fascination. I'd never heard this before or someone utilizing the elements as a part of the process, right? The bright way. Yeah. I guess is what well, that's what it's called, right? The bright <laughs> yeah. way. And right. this is what I told my wife as I was reading your book. I said, "What I like about this, I said, is that you, one, you you put you draw from so many wisdom traditions, 
And I love that. That's definitely where I'm at. I mean, I'm sort of like I, I say I'm a mutt. I mean, I'll pull from wherever <laughs> I can get, you know, a cross connection or a piece of wisdom that I can apply. I, that's that's always been the way I've been. And I appreciated that about your work. But when you get into this L, the elemental path, I was like that just even before I knew what I was going to read, that fascinated me. I was like, okay, so how is it, what's the connection going to be fire, earth, water, air? How, how, how do you work this in? So I couldn't almost wait to get to that part <laughs> of the book. Actually, I was like, oh, I but I got so fascinated on the front end, to be honest, I was really drawn in by the front end. But once we got into that, I said, oh, this is, this is the stuff right here. This is very interesting. So maybe without giving it all away, can you kind of go over that? So people who are interested yeah. would understand it. Definitely. So I am always looking for, you know, what are things that are universal? What are things that we can all agree on that we are all part of? And again, it's nature. You know, nature is this template that we have for creativity that I feel is un unsurpassed. So when we look at the elements of nature earth, air, fire, water, and I add spirit, as many wisdom traditions do, uh, sort of the ineffable, the the life force. There's something that we can't see, but we know it's there. Yeah. Um, when we tap into the elements, we know we're tapping into something real. We can all say fire exists and that water exists, air, earth, you know, and even for people who don't follow a spiritual path, spirit exists in the form of ethics and morals, and it's a great force in humanity, you know, um, I mean, as we speak, it's, you know, ethics and morals are, are very much, you know, in the mainstream news at this moment, you know, Sure. and deciding what are we going to do and all of this. So, um Nature is indisputable, you know, it's a fact. So I knew that by using nature and using the elements to um, highlight our creativity, to support our creativity, I knew it's, I would be on solid ground. And also going back to the wisdom traditions, you know, if we look at uh, – for instance, Celtic mythology and ancient Celtic religions, they very much were bringing in the elements. We look at Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, they're bringing in the same elements. Uh, we take a look at the ancient Greeks, you know, they had, the philosophers had different debates, like there was a camp who believed everything was made out of fire, you know, and then there was another one who believed everything was made out of water. So, um, these are themes that have been with us for millennia. And so I knew uh, that by tapping into the elements, I would tap into something that was both true and universal and had a lot of resonance through time and space. Mm. Yeah, I love that. We we're this is a topic subject that is sort of at play in the life of our family in various ways. One, we have a tree out front in our yard we call Mother, sort of like our shrine, I guess. And uh, it's one of our, it's been there since we moved into our home and it's become a, a symbol of our family, you know? And so in, in her, we, we have Tibetan prayer flags hanging. And I always 
think the the one you mentioned, spirit. You know, there's the mystery flag up there. If you go fire, earth, water, wind, there's the blue flag. You know, and the blue flag is the one that fascinates me the most because that's the mystery flag. It's it's space. It's the ether. It's spirit. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, but anyway, getting back to that, you know, there's something special about watching those flitter in the wind and really contemplating those elements and what they may mean in your life. I guess I had just never, I just, I couldn't have done what you did, I guess, the way you utilize them and connected them to specific parts of this path. And when, in your book, it's so clear, because I was, when I got to them, I said, well, okay, because, you know, you can come up with a system and then maybe stretch a little bit to get to a point, right? <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, I've done yeah. that before and go, well, I want to make a thing and I want to make a system, but I'm going to have to really stretch to get to my what I'm trying to do there. Maybe something doesn't quite fit with your system. It does. And your the language you use to describe the whole cycle through the elements, I was like, wow, yeah, this makes sense. It does all fit. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, it came up, this whole system came up over teaching and and performing for about 25 years now. Um, so, yeah, I started teaching in my early 20s. And as I was teaching, I started to notice these common themes coming uh. out, regardless of, you know, what age people were, or what kind of music they were playing, or what their background was. And over the decades, yeah, you know, I came to see kind of behind the curtain, you know, mm. pull the curtain back and see that there was actually a very simple framework upholding yeah. everything. So, you know, like we started our conversation, you know, things are actually quite simple and everything is connected. So I feel like this system taps into that very framework. You know, I've always been very interested in things like sacred geometry and in Greek philosophy. I studied a lot about world religions and then studying music. You know, you look at the architecture of music, which goes back to the sacred geometry. And you start to realize these themes coming out and they they almost like... Um, coalesce themselves into the star that is uh. the symbol of the the entire system, the five-pointed star. And so over the years, yeah, I came to understand that things that I'd maybe thought were separate were not. Sure. Um, so for instance, uh, motivation. We think about motivation, that's a big question that people have. I came to realize that true motivation is actually inspiration. It must start with inspiration. Otherwise, it's force. And force will work for a certain amount of time, but it is not sustainable. It's not true motivation. It's basically fear. So I came to realize that inspiration is priority number one, because from that, motivation will come. And inspiration comes from the inside out. And we can feed it with external things, you know, that that stoke our inspiration. But we actually have to feel that inspiration inside. It needs to resonate with us 100%. We can't pretend to like something or to be interested in something. That has to come from the inside out. So that kind of fire. Mm. 
that's how I put fire and inspiration together. So in the in the Brightway system, yeah, fire and inspiration are are one, and we cultivate our inspiration the same way as we would cultivate a fire. You you tend that thing, yeah. but you know it's it's burning inside you at all times. You're not trying to light fires outside of yourself. <laughs> right. No, I love your language. I love what you're saying. And I'm happy. I know it. I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. We believe that there's already enough negative news in the world, even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from too. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to the B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News, Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's patreon.com slash find the good news now back to the episode we're kind of into primitive skills here and building fire is such a core skill to have in a primitive manner and Every as you're talking, my my mind that's all I can think <laughs> about is collecting the right piece of wood and spinning right. the spindle. And then when you do get that little piece of that little ember, then you have to cradle it but blow on it, you know, and feed it and then it just combusts, you know, and blooms into this wonderful fire. And that's inspiration. <laughs> like yeah. I just hear you say that in your book. I was like, Oh yeah, that's definitely what that is. It fits. You know, I, I want to build saying. a fire, you know, I want to build a fire. And then there's other, and then the, the idea of fire too, we gather around the light and we are drawn to sit around a fire together. It creates community and safety. And, um, you talk about community, in fact, in your book it, it, as a part of this, right? It's yeah. a part of the elemental cycle. It is. Uh, I put community and spirit together because ah. community is that, ineffable quality that makes everything come to life. We need community. It, it is the thing that gives us spirit. It gives us hope. It, it's the life force. So I loved your description of, of building the fire, you know, gathering the woods, you're gathering these earthy elements, you're blowing on it with the air. You've got this fire, you know, of your intention. You're literally creating a fire with all the other elements as well. And then gathering around um, in spirit, you know, the inspiration yeah. is cultivating. So they all feed each other and, um, and that's another fun thing about the elements is although we examine them one by one, yeah, as you described so beautifully, they they do in fact work together. They do all feed each other. So in the system, 
We've got air, earth, fire, water, and spirit, and those correlate to artistry, technique, learning, community, and inspiration. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, go no, ahead. No, please, go ahead, continue. Well, just to go to the community part, um, one thing that I came to realize over a lot of my teaching, and especially internet teaching, which I've done for quite a long time now, um, the community factor is so important. And I actually didn't realize that because I live in Berkeley, California, and I'm surrounded by other creative people and 7 million people in the Bay Area. You know, I mean, we have so much community. But I would be teaching people who were, you know, the only harpist in their community or the only person who thought their way in the community. Um and they felt very, very alone, and it was taking a massive toll on their creativity. They felt like they um, were disconnected from everybody and everything around them, and that they were feeling even disconnected from themselves, which I think is the most scary thing of all. So community has come to me to be one of the very most important things regarding creativity. I think there may be an image of, you know, sort of creatively working away all on your own. And there is absolutely the need for uh, solitude in our journey. But I do believe that community, communing, you know, being in connection, is the other side of the coin that we absolutely need in order to be creative. So community is is non-negotiable. We must have community in order to be creative. Yeah, I believe we are created to be in relationship. And I'm not talking about intimate, you know, marriage or anything like that. I mean, I really do. We we are designed to be together. You know, yes. we we make more of ourselves, you know. I mean, we we are meant to do to be together in that way. And that's, that, that's community right there. I mean, I, I, I know that's what was lacking for me just in my creative works in the advertising industry was, uh, I had relationships, right. But they were survival relationships. They weren't, they weren't in this model, you know, they, they, uh, or, I, or if they were, I wasn't allowing them to move through this cycle. Yeah, and that's that's quite possible too. Well, they you know, I mean, each other. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, community and spirit to me are the same, and I feel like a community is a true community when it's in sacred reciprocity, when there is spirit involved. If we are not in sacred reciprocity, there's no spirit involved. So. By your reintroducing spirit into your relationship, even with your clients, is wonderful, powerful work. And that creates true community, which is something that, again, is being highlighted right now in this age, in this time, that, wow, community is a big deal. It is huge. Because what are people missing most right now? They're missing each other. Their yeah. connections with each other. Yeah. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, and I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the tension come from. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not – people are used to being able to move about freely and be with each other in whatever capacity they're they're mm-hmm. with each other. You know, it's different for everyone. But when you – when you cut that off, yeah, something happens. I mean, I – you said that earlier. There, there's sort of this 
proper vacillation between some solitude and then some community. I was for a part, large part of my journey. I, I had this idea that, um, I solitude was what I needed. I don't have enough solitude. I could feel myself raging inside about it. I mean, that's just the truth. There was like a, a wild, I know this is going to sound crazy, but like there was a wild ascetic man, you know, who had nothing on but a loincloth and beads and he just wanted to go wander around the woods and eat, you know, pine cones or something. That was that was in me to just be that person. I felt that he would almost like rage, like starving to be in solitude. Yeah. And that was a mistake, really. I I, I learned several years ago you know, that I have to, f- what's healthy for me is the vacillation, the breathing between the two. I, I do need some of that, that, that person, that the reason he was so hungry and that, and his hair was so nappy and he was so skinny and so wild was because he was hungry. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that make right. sense? I was, I wasn't, it totally makes sense. I wasn't yeah. feeding him and it made that wild character inside of me. And now when I give it a, just a little bit, now I know, you know, yeah. feed that part and he doesn't look like that. He's healthier. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it totally makes sense. I mean, I really believe this about cycles with creativity. You know, we go through different cycles and we may look completely different in those cycles. Like when we're, you know, very kind of young energy, very outward energy, you know, putting out a lot of results, a lot of products. And then we turn around and become very yin and internal. And, yeah. you know, we're just, we don't look like we're producing anything, but it's just as important of a cycle because without that, that more solitude cycle where we're more internal we're not showing our work to anybody we may be developing a lot inside and actually creating you know in our own space um but we're not we're not interfacing with the external at that point when we come out of that phase we have so much more to offer in the external so it's this cycle of going back and forth between the um, more sort of young, outwardly faced energy. You know, um, in many traditional thought forms, they talk about uh, the more masculine energy. And it's not about men or women, but it's like, you know, the animus energy, which is very outward looking, very, I think, like the sun. Um, Whereas then we go into the moon phase, it's much more internal, it's more uh, feminine energy, again, not to do with men or women, but just this type of anima energy. So um, I think really making friends with the the yin side, you know, the more feminine side, has been the struggle in our culture. There's been a real obsession with trying to burn all the time, like the sun, and create yeah. all the time. And what happens? People burn out. Man, you are right on about that. I mean, you touched on that several different ways in your book, but... I mean, I resonated with all of that because I kind of have a rage against the machine personality in that regard because I, I feel it. I've always, it's like a wheel, you know, and I mean, I've been plugged into that wheel through the advertising industry and pulling myself that wheel. It, it's like you find there's just these little fibers still connected to it and it wants to pull you back in. If you can get every little little strand, cause it's a 24 hour world now, but it's 24 hours of sun. Just as yeah. you described, and it feels more like we're always on. 
we're always supposed to respond. We're always supposed to be doing something. We're always supposed to be going. We're supposed to have information, you know, just pouring in at all times. Nature is not like that. No. It doesn't do that. It's, it's it ends up like a desert. Sure. Like a desert. Right. That's yeah. what's going to happen to us. Um, yeah. So I think it's been an incredible reset at this moment where everybody was forced to slow down. You know, and I know they were forced. It wasn't the choice. But, you know, you have to hand it to Mother Nature and say, wow, this was a pretty amazing way to bring this lesson to us you know, where we are slowing down. And many people that I'm speaking to are saying, you know what, there are many things that I've learned during this time that I'm enjoying. And I don't know if I will go back to how I was before. Oh, as sure. driven. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel it myself. I mean, and, and uh, honestly, even connecting with a work like yours at the right time. I mean, it was a good time to read that because I was already sort of in uh, a cycle that maybe I wasn't really fully aware of, but I knew something was changing. And at whatever pace that change is taking place, that work, your work came along at the right time because I was like, yeah, I could definitely use something like this. Now I can sort of sync up with that. And it gives me a little more of a, a, a intentional method versus just falling into it and trying to discover it without uh, without a path. So I think that's it's good for people that are, you know, having those feelings right now. I think it would be I, I told my wife this exact thing. I said, this is a great book to read right now. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> Thank you. you know? Right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, I found in general it's quite easy to inspire people. It's in, easy to get people excited about things and to consider, you know, oh, what ways might I want to change my life to be more in alignment with myself? But how do you actually do it? Right. You know, what are the action steps you're going to take? And so I believe that in order to manifest anything in this world, we need to bring together magic, which is definitely things like the inspiration and joy and skill. We need the practical side. We need the, the, you know, boots on the ground. How do I actually woodshed this thing? How do I make this thing happen in real life? And so that's why I wanted the book to be also very action focused. So it's not just something that would inspire people, but then they would put it down and then almost feel deflated because they didn't know what to do next. It right. does does give you a lot of options of what to do um, in a very open way, but also very direct way. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like a bunch of rules, but it's definitely it's definitely a method. There are definitely guidelines. Yeah. It's something you can go put into practice uh, and put to the test. I, I liked that feeling I got about it. I can go put this into my life, apply it, and it's something to do. It's right action, you know, and mm. and whatever, wherever you're at in your life, I mean, I felt like it was just a healthy perspective all around. I mean, you cover a lot in the book, so that was good. It wasn't just like a a prescription or a workbook, you know, it was, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that book that goes along with getting to, you know, the actual, the actionable part of it. So. Yeah. Well, talking about community, I mean, I've taught this system to hundreds of people at this point, and they have all affected me, you know, because I taught them personally, 
You know, yeah. I was involved in their process many times for years and years, sometimes more than a decade. And I, as I watched them go through their process, they taught me, you know. So the book really is a community effort in many ways. Uh, not that. to Not to mention that I'm drawing, you know, on the wisdom of the past and, of course, nature, you know. So it's like this giant collaboration that makes me it makes it very easy for me to talk about it because I don't feel like I'm tooting my own horn. You know, I don't feel like I own this thing in many ways. I feel like this is a way of describing things that are very, very universal. And yes, I'm describing them in such a way that they are easy to understand today. You know, like sometimes we read these philosophical texts and it's like, what are they saying? I can't quite understand. <laughs> right, yeah, they're right. just hard, <laughs> you know. Um this is is very modern um, and very very accessible. I really wanted that. You know, my my dream was I want to talk to that single mother with two kids and two jobs, who right. feels like she has this creativity within her, but she just has no time to express it. It's like if I can talk to her, I could talk to anybody. I. I definitely I will tell you this from my perspective. That is exactly what I think comes through in this book. Thank you. Thanks Absolutely. So oh, totally you want to cry. It's the truth. I mean, you you know, I hadn't talked to you yet and I was I'm, again my my little bit of anxiety. I'm like What's it going to be like? You know, how is she going to be? You're absolutely have a lovely presentation. You're, you're, uh, it comes through even through the microphone and just through the screen. <laughs> I mean, time and space are irrelevant because I mean, you, you really do. You have a, a comforting nature and a very clear delivery, uh, soothing presence. And you add that to the work that you're doing with the book and in this, this course. I don't know. I can see how you probably helped a lot of people. I really can. I can see that. Thank you. And and it's very much been in sacred reciprocity, you know, as as I was helping them, they were helping me. They were teaching me, sharing their process honestly, and I would yeah. learn and, and modify based on what I learned from them. And so I feel like I got this incredible opportunity to be privy to many of the most intimate parts of people's lives and many people's lives. So, um, so yeah, the, the book is definitely, you can, you can feel them and you can hear many of them in the book. I do quote uh, quite a few people in there. Um, yeah, their wisdom shines through and makes it uh, so much stronger of a piece. Because I really didn't want it to be, oh, this is Diana Rowan's take on the world. I did not want <laughs> right. that. You know, I wanted something much more timeless. Yeah, and, it felt that way. Totally. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put that. You never know what you're gonna. You never know what you're gonna experience with any new book or new work. And uh, I'm I'm a avid reader. I read a lot of things across the whole spectrum, mostly from wisdom traditions or self help or spiritual books or religion, whatever it may be. I, I that's my category, and so I didn't know what to expect, but it was refreshing. Honestly, you you <laughs> you traverse a lot of territory. And it's exactly as you said, never once did I feel like you were trying in this book to um, – well, sometimes I well, – let me say it like this. Sometimes I read a book and I go, OK, this is another worldview that I kind of have to go put to the test. 
Because mm. sometimes what will happen for me, I've I've kind of landed in a Buddhist category for a very long time. And so what I end up doing is I compare what's being taught in the work to to that. And I go, OK, that's like this. Oh, OK, that's like that. Or I compare them to different parts of that practice. And, I'll, and a lot of times I'll go, well, maybe I don't even need to dive into this work any further because I everything that I'm going to get that I'm getting from it, I can already get from this one mm. wisdom tradition. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know if I yeah. framed that out properly, yeah. but with your book, I didn't feel that way at all. And I, and sometimes I do, I mean, just being full, fully transparent, that does happen sometimes where I go, yeah, I'm kind of already, I'm revisiting old territory. I, that, that you, you package things in a certain way to where I almost felt like, wait a second, I, I actually do want to do this. I do want to <laughs> Take even though we, yeah. you did cover you you mentioned some things from the Buddhist tradition uh, and, and other traditions as well, but it was done in such a way to where it, I don't know it was almost like it was in support of it. You you didn't come off in the book to me as this is like as you said this is Diana's way right and you yes. need to do it my way <laughs> right right yeah I I I definitely believe that everybody is their own best teacher. And what I want people to do is get in touch with that inside themselves and thereby get to know their true selves. And I'm excited about that because something new will come out that has never existed in this universe before. And I want to see that. I want to live in that world. I mean, maybe I'm just being like super selfish because I think it'll be a wonderful world for me to live in, you know, where people are being their true selves and living from a place of love and and feeling really um, happy with themselves. So I don't really um, have an agenda beyond that, you know. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. so then, yeah, then I, I think, thank goodness that... Um, veers me away from trying to evangelize in any way because I'm not trying to bring anybody around to any particular way of thinking it's just like know thyself because I think that is the greatest thing when you do know yourself and I'm excited to know you when you know yourself you know love that I love it I love it (laughs) perfect This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. 
On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. So I don't know if you had time to listen to this show or not, but uh, at the at the end of the show, we do this part where I pull out this crazy-looking fishbowl right here. Yeah. And there's like 400 questions inside of it. <laughs> And okay. I will draw three questions, and All then right. we'll talk about them. This has been something we started, I think, like the third episode of the show. The short version is, is I had these high ideas that I had all these really great questions that I was going to ask every guest, and I had this real rigid idea of what these conversations were going to go like. And what I realized very quickly after two or three of my talks is that we're just going to talk and go all over the place. I don't even <laughs> end up asking these questions. So we cut them up and we put them inside this fishbowl and decided that it might be better to just utilize it as a as a sort of random way to get a few of them into the mix. I love it. <laughs> so we're just going to trust the universe for a minute and see what we get. So your first question that came out. Oh, this is a interesting. Okay, well, I'll be curious to hear what you say. Products that you've purchased that you didn't really like. Oh, you know what I got? I got one of those things that hold up your camera, and yeah. you can walk around and talk. Yeah. And it didn't quite fit my camera, so it was always I had to do this kind of jerry rig thing, and it was just such an intense hassle that I ended up never using the thing and I keep trying to get rid of it. I put it out on my desk. I'm like, I need to sell this or give it away or something. I'm like, who would want this anyway? You know? So, <laughs> uh, so I definitely, um, not, not happy with that thing at all. And, uh, do you do, you do a lot of that? Like where you talk to the camera and unhold it and walk and things like that? I don't. I do a lot of talking to the camera, but I'm always sitting still. And and yeah. I have the idea that oh, it'll be so great to walk around and you know talk. And and somehow I never ever do it. Yeah. I just I, don't get the urge to do it. I I don't mind taking a photo here and there, but I just when I'm walking around, I just want to live my life. I don't want to think, oh, how is this going to be looking for the external, you know viewer and and all of the i don't know yeah i i feel your pain on that one because i have a similar experience you know i for a while i was doing these uh i call them journal episodes where i would just go and do a, a solo episode where i'd go to a, a space that was sacred to me and just have a reflection you know and just kind of freeform journal verbally and uh, i tried to do that walking one time and i laughed at myself because 
I thought, I can't think and walk at the same time, <laughs> or I can't think, talk, and walk at the same time. Right. It's funny because I can walk and think and have yeah. these thoughts that I think are so important right? mm-hmm. <laughs> that they Definitely. need to be shared. Um, but what I found for me is it's better to either take those and sit down and reflect or go write them down. Because to walk and talk and think them out loud, I go – it just doesn't work for me. I can't do it. <laughs> I like what you're saying. Yeah. You know, you're making me realize, I mean, probably when that one didn't work, it wasn't so much that it didn't work. Um, that was the, you know, showstopper. It was that I actually just didn't enjoy that process at all. Because if it, yeah. if, if I really wanted to do it, I would go find something, I'd buy another one, you know, just yeah. bite the bullet and I deal hear with you. it. Yeah. You know, but I didn't. I just... Yeah. Ah, I think I might. Yeah. I did the same thing. I was like, this, this isn't comfortable for me. And why do I want to keep trying to make myself shove myself into this thing? That's not my way. You know, it just does not feel right. I always, for me, jumping back to like, to tie it to our conversation, I, I have had so much social anxiety about, uh, stepping out front that, I always, when I get a feeling of, Oh, I don't, I didn't like that. I'm not going to do that. I worry that secretly it's like my old anxiety whispering in my ear going, you can't do that. You're no good. You shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, and so then I go, Oh, it must, must be good. I just don't know what I'm doing, but I'm learning to not listen to that because it's not anxiety. It's just, maybe that isn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I oftentimes get questions about how do you tell the difference between something that is your intuition telling you, oh, this is not the right thing for you, or this is not in alignment with you, um, versus uh, something that's kind of just a growing edge for you, something that would be a good challenge, you know. Um, And uh, my favorite way to tell is that you center yourself, which is another big piece of the book is learning how to center, which is is not as difficult as it sounds. So you center, and then you think about that thing, and you notice what your body does. And if your body kind of constricts and starts feeling cold, then it's Mm -hmm. a sign that really the thing is not right at this moment. But if you get kind of butterflies, and you're like, I'm kind of excited, but I'm, I'm really nervous, but I'm kind of excited, it's still an outward kind of movement, it's expanding. And so then it has high potential that it is a, uh, a good opportunity, a growth opportunity. But if it's cold dread, I say put it off for a while. That's good. That's good. That's yeah. listeners take note. I will too. I think you're right because I mean, I, I could say I try to feel my way through life. And I mean, that's, that's fairly accurate to, to what I feel. I, I can get a definite feeling when something's wrong. And so I, mm-hmm. I have, I've had that question though. Is it, is it some sneaky seed of anxiety just trying to undermine, you know, me wanting to step out? That's, yeah. you know, and, well, and I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would lean into that darkness. I would center and I would say, okay, let me know. Tell me what it is. Yeah. You know, and, and I am, I'm sure that, you know, your purpose, having been stated, you know, that it was about connection and enlightening, you know, you, you, you're going to be a, yeah, it's just that old voice again. You know, yeah. away you go. Off you go to your back seat or uh-huh. trunk of the car. Um, yeah. A, we real we sh- when we shine light on things that give us anxiety and fear, really they look quite tiny. Usually, they look very very small. But when we don't think about well, well we won't face them. They kind of loom like this 
enormous monster. You know, uh, my sister sent this funny meme where it was like um, the pile of clothes on my chair during the day. And then, and it showed this pile of clothes and the pile of clothes at night. And it was like this dark form and the two eyes looking out of it, you know? (laughs) I've seen that. I love that because actually that happened to me after I started working at home during this isolation period, I had a a uh, a blanket laying over my head. You know, I kind of had to like makeshift office because I don't have an office at home. I have a studio. And so I had no reason to have all this stuff in my living room. And so I'm moving all my stuff to my living room, kind of making my workstation. And one night I got up to get some water and that chair was there, you know, and it, oh saw, my God. And the computer was kind of outlining it. And I did, I got that feeling like I thought I saw somebody in my living room and it, right. it just like my whole body clenched up. I was like, somebody's in my house and it right. lasted for a split second. And my brain had to catch up and go, yeah, no. oh my yeah God. that's that feeling. <laughs> and yet, you know, if we switch on the light, there we are. Oh, there yeah, it is. Nothing. So, it's just my chair. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. <laughs> All right, that's good. I like that. We got got a lot of good out of that question. Um, so this is your second question, but it's it's what's the first music you bought? But I actually would like to change this question. Uh, so you play music, and we didn't really get to talk about that a lot. And so I'm wondering if maybe just for a minute you could maybe talk about music, and then maybe how when you knew that that was going to be a part of your life. Yeah. So my parents were college students when I was born, and uh, they were listening a lot to the Beatles. Uh, They actually have really great musical taste, I have to say. They were listening a lot to the Beatles, uh, who are a huge influence on me, actually. You know, I think they're my biggest stealth influence. Um, Wow. Yeah, for sure. Would you say Uh, the Beatles are an ally? In a way. Yeah, I yeah. would. Oh, I would yeah. absolutely. You know, I mean, now that, you know, I've studied music, I know that they are doing certain things that I'm really, really interested in. Like they play in unusual scales. Mm. So the scales that they use are not the usual major and minor all the time. That's one thing, for instance, that that really has affected me a great deal. Um, and, and I do that a lot in my own composing and I'm attracted really? to music like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you change the scale that you're playing in and you go outside of the usual major and minor it's like you go to entirely different countries or consciousnesses and it's i just love it so um and also yeah and also the beatles they really change style a lot you know they covered a wide range of different influences but always you know having this core of integrity like it never sounded like a different band even though the music was so different i'm like huh that's interesting there's some truth that they're communicating the whole time no matter what yeah so that's there was interesting. that i never really thought about that i didn't i didn't realize one that they played on different scales but i guess that explains some of why they perhaps sounded so unique uniquely different even today to anything that you would hear but yet uh, across the body of their work, you can tell it's the Beatles. I mean, you yeah. know, you would be able right? to pick it out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. See, and, and then they listened to uh, a lot of classical music. And so that was a very, very big influence on me and, and, and is to this day. So, uh, especially, you know, I love the music of Bach and uh, Debussy. And then I always have another rotating favorite composer, a third one. Um, but that changes sometimes. So uh, 
my mom played piano and still does. And so on one of their wedding anniversaries, my dad got her a piano. And then I started picking out, I think when I was six years old. Yeah. And I started picking out things on the piano and she began teaching me a little bit and I just loved it. Uh, but it's hard for a parent to teach a child music. There's all kinds of crazy power struggles that go on, uh, mostly on the kid's side. And so I got, uh, an external teacher and, um, yeah, by the age of eight, I was, I knew I absolutely wanted to be a full-time musician because when I played music, I felt completely real. I felt like I was in this real world and I felt sure of things. Mm. I felt like very confident, not in a, in a cocky way, but just like really, oh yeah, I know my place in this world and I feel good. I feel grounded, I guess we could say. Yeah. Um, and it was only later, you know, as an adult that I came to realize what I was experiencing is that when I play music, I encounter my true self. Yeah. I, I get in touch with my true self. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh would say, uh, I come home to myself. So uh, that that was the real compulsion for me with music. But, you know, as time went on and, you know, I was getting a lot of positive feedback about my playing and, you know, the stakes got higher and higher, I get became very concerned about what other people thought, I really forgot all about those feelings. And it really just became about needing to impress people and get really good results in my exams and things like that. So I, I really forgot about that connection to my true self, which was, which is my purpose. So... Yeah, yeah, that's that's really ultimately, I think, for me, I mean, I can connect to what you're saying, that has really been my true purpose in a way I feel is to is to continue to seek myself. You yeah. know, who am I really? I mean, I, I ask that question every day. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I look at the components, you know, of my life, the, the elements, if you will, like all of them and go, you know, have they've made this me that I consider me. Uh, and who am I really? Am I just these this this collection of elements you know, and if I focus on any one of them, uh, can I find myself in that that single element? Most of the time I can't. Right. You know, it takes them right. all working together and, and the whole timeline of my of my life, everybody's like that. I mean, we're just a collection of of notes, so to speak, like music, yeah. I guess, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel our our true self, you know, our soul, some people yeah. would call it. Um yeah. I definitely call it that. I'm totally okay if people don't want to call it that as well, uh, but but I do. Um, so I think our soul is something uh, something quite unknowable in some ways, but we can feel it ten thousand million percent. Yeah. I think sometimes people get distracted by. Um, elements of their personality and their sure. their preferences and they say i am this and you know i i am a person who this happened to i'm a person yeah. with this kind of job i'm a person who lives here i'm from this country and and that's not their their true self and you know i think oftentimes it's just this sensation that we get when we know we're in alignment with our true mm. selves and i think our purpose is an articulation of that essence and yet even that articulation is not the essence itself 
Yeah, it's interesting. It, it gets kind of that that reminds me and what I think about that, too, is of that blue flag, you know, that that other element. Right. right you know, the mystery. That, that fifth, the fifth element, the mystery element. It's that it, etherical part that when I stare at my eye in the mirror, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I see my father's son and that's the me that's tied to history. And sometimes I'm not my father's son at all. Yeah. I'm the me that's there's a part of me that's beyond my right. own history, if that makes yeah. any sense, you know, it and that's the part, so you know, that's outside of um, all of that collection of elements. It's interesting. Yeah. But that, it's but yet so that's at the core, like a little gravity point or a vortex or something that's holding all of those things together yeah. around it, sort of, yeah. so to speak, I guess. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Wow. God, it's amazing. We got all of that out of that question. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So this question, I don't know, I, it may seem like a down note, but um, I'm going to ask it anyway, since it's what came out of the bowl. Describe a time that you felt lonely. And maybe there's some way we can figure out how to work that into the scope of this conversation. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I was at the height of my performance anxiety and trying to keep it secret from people because I felt like it was a bad sign, again, uh-huh. a sign that I had no talent Uh, Because if I was talented, surely I wouldn't have anxiety, right? Somehow that was my thinking uh, as a teenager. Um, I felt extremely alone. You know, I was suffering a lot. You know, it was was terrifying to me to experience these feelings. Um, I... They made me not trust myself. Like, I would get so anxious before performances. Like, I would throw up. I would cry a lot. I would try to find ways to get out of it. I was like, well, if I slam the door on my hand, I'll be able to get out of this. All these kinds of crazy things that I would do. And and that I know other people do, too. You know, and I greatly sympathize with them. You know, I know how that feels. Um, I felt estranged from other people because I was trying to hide this thing. I felt not connected to them because I would not admit what was really happening. And I also felt like if I do admit it, maybe they won't love me anymore. Maybe they won't care. Maybe they'll think I'm an idiot, all these kinds of things. And so I was disconnected from them. And then I was disconnected from myself because I was saying terrible things to myself. Why are you like this? Why can't you get past this? What's wrong with you? You're not worth anything. You need to, you know, conquer this thing, squash it, fight it, battle it, which is always the the worst thing you can do. You make it grow more. Um, And instead, it would be shining light on it. Just see, what's this about? You know, if I'd done that, it would have been a whole story. But then I wouldn't have written the book. Um. Right. I mean, you know, that that is so similar to me experiences. I went through that exact same thing. I mean, I, again, it was like 20 years ago, but it was like a feeling of why can't I get out of the cycle of thinking that I'm in? It was like, I was stuck in this sort of downtrend. Everything was, everything was negative and everything was dark and everything. And I couldn't, I'd want to say, okay, I'm going to grab the next ladder rung and pull myself out. And then I would just almost go down even further. But had I not, you know, again, I mean, had I not right. felt lonely and alone and afraid and filled with despair or whatever those feelings were, the whole collection of negative feelings, I guess I wouldn't have l- turned around to see the light. Right. I mean, it, it was like yes. that was the only thing that was left to come in was light because I was 
in the dark, you know, and yeah. lonely, really, yeah. really depressive loneliness. Absolutely. I mean, I feel it gave me much more insight in life and much more compassion. You know, there's another thing that Thich Nhat Hanh says is, you know, suffering is necessary to cultivate compassion. If you don't experience suffering, doesn't mean you get stuck in the suffering, but if you don't experience it, you don't get the opportunity to cultivate compassion, you know, and compassion being you know, one of the great ways that we truly connect with others, probably the greatest way we connect with others. And so I think it really taught me, um, in the end, ironically, it taught me how to truly connect with others uh, because I became so polarized the other way. I was so deeply disconnected, so thoroughly disconnected uh, that I came to know what that felt like and, and how truly dreadful it is and the knock-on effects that you described really well you know the thing is it's not just like that one area of your life where it's a problem unfortunately it pollutes everything once it gets going you know uh, that kind of anxiety those kinds of fears they don't get you know siloed off they they it's like you know a drop of ink in water it starts going everywhere and so, so yeah, I absolutely felt, you know, the lowest of the low in, in those times. Um, and now, looking back uh, decades later, I could see the gift in that. But man, oh, man, you know, yeah. at that time, I really, really couldn't. And I think I would have had a very, very different life if I hadn't had that kind of anxiety I think I I obviously would have performed more I, I perform now you know quite a lot uh, but I probably would have done only performing and I just can't think my performing would have been as deep you know because when you know those kinds of feelings and you're able to share them with others it gives them so much solace you know they feel not alone and that yeah. energy is just palpable. I mean, you you feel them coming home to themselves. You feel them reconnect to themselves. And that energy just starts radiating out around the room. And, and you all feel stronger. And that's why, you know, even in this time when there is, you know, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, I'm very, very hopeful. I feel we're going towards a better world right now. We can. I believe that. I always say I, I hope, and I do. I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I truly yeah. believe that we have exactly what you describe in your book and what you've been saying in this talk. You know, we have that capacity. Yes. It's in. Our, it's. It's not just something you learn. It's in our nature. It's at the. It's core. in our nature. Yeah, it is in our nature to create and to create good. I mean, you yes. you even talked about a little bit of that in the book, I think, you know, and I was glad you touched on that, you know, because some people will say, well, creativity can go in dark places too, yeah. you know, and create things like the atom bomb. Right. And that's true, but I still believe, even though you can look out at the world and, and yeah, focus on horrors. I mean, I don't deny right. you look, you see horror all around you. Yes. But. I still believe at yeah. our core. I do. I really do. I just believe we can be I better. Do. We have and I, 
Yes, and I think, you know, by always running everything through sacred reciprocity, we're not going to create things that have horrifying consequences. You know, people who were creating the atom bomb, they did know at that time that there were possibly terrible consequences from this, and they did it anyway. You know, um, there's, I think we, we have to take our capacity to create seriously, that it's not a frivolous thing, that, yeah, we could end up creating something out of sacred reciprocity, something outside of, of sacred reciprocity, create a monster. And that is our human capability. You know, our creativity is a superpower that we have, and you know, we need to wield it, you know, with some wisdom. And if we wield it with sacred reciprocity, we're all good. It's going to be absolutely fine. Yeah. Not a worry, you know. No, it's true. I mean, even even not just great horrors. I think about this all the time. The, all the small things that we do that our creative that our creativity does desire to do. It's like sometimes creativity can almost pull you forward to. Like, for instance, I was talking about this just the other day. You know, I live in Louisiana, and our coast is just eroding at a rapid rate. I mean, they're working to try and rebuild this coastline. And it's just a, a losing battle. I mean, it really is. And when you look at the long history of it, you see that a lot of that has really just been caused because of damming off the Mississippi River, which was historically dumping sediment, you know, naturally down and, and built our coastline. But when you dam it off, you know, you cut off a natural source and you, you sort of kick that – you kick a cycle in play that just can't be reversed in nature and in a way, so you take creativity, you go, well, someone creatively thought, well, there's a reason we need to dam off the Mississippi. Here's a creative thing we can do to solve another problem. So they applied their um, survival creativity. I don't know. I'm making that up. Yeah. It's a survival like it. creativity <laughs> to yeah. solve a problem, uh, maybe left brain or something like that. I don't know whichever side of the brain <laughs> it is that does that. And then you don't realize that that you weren't thinking in sacred reciprocity. If you'd apply sacred reciprocity there, that may not have happened. You might go, right. well, okay, that is a solution to a problem, but in the scope of sacred reciprocity, what's how's this going to affect the longer arc of time, right? And how's this going to affect right. this? people's lives a hundred years from now right. do we love those people a hundred years from now as much as we love the people here today you know we don't yeah. tend to think like that we think about today and here's here now not right these beings that we can't comprehend yet and it can even be you know sacred reciprocity with nature now like uh, if i damn this now am i in sacred reciprocity with nature or right. what what if if I do have to do it? What amends can I make to nature immediately to mitigate the effects? You know, there's. Right. Uh, but instead, you know, in the past, um, and hopefully this is changing, although not always. Um, people have treated the earth as if it was basically. Their playground, you know, that yeah. they weren't in reciprocity with it, in relationship. It was just something that we could use and, and have fun mm -hmm. with and, you know, um, capitalize on. Essentially, there wasn't a sacred reciprocity with the earth. Uh, so that could be used to immediate effect, even without thinking about generations down the road, which is another great way to think about it as well, of course.
Yeah, I love what you're saying. Yeah, if you think of, and it applies to your book. I mean, if you think of yourself, uh, if you think of your creativity in an elemental way, and then you look inside yourself and you see that all those elements are inside of you and your very body and your spirit, right? If you add that yeah, fifth element. Absolutely, absolutely. And then think of the earth, the connection. You know, we come from that, and it's also imbued with those things. What a beautiful package that is. I mean, and that's all—that's the real big picture in a simple way of sacred reciprocity. For me, again, yeah. that was the big high note of the book. I, I'm gonna—I can immediately apply that in my life every single day, even when I'm writing an email. And it actually happened Absolutely, today. I mean, yes. I applied it to an email. Uh, and and, and a, a negative alter, not altercation, but a negative communication turned into a positive one just Love through it. changing some, you know, taking a little time to look at that and go, hey, I don't have to let this person take from me, but I also don't have to cut myself off from them either. I can create a loop and, and some problems were solved, you know, it's it great. It's magical. That yeah. is so beautiful. Yes, this is real. And it's. It's so magical and so practical, practical. at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question for you. Um, okay. I don't know if you can see this, but this is the – well, you probably can't because I have that blurring effect on my Skype. If you, if you put uh, it right in the middle. How about right, right by my face? Can you see that? The good. Well, yeah. Oh, okay, yes. So this, is, this is a mug I'm going to send you. I send it to all oh, my guests. thank you. But on the back is the last question, and it says, did anything good happen today? <gasps> so many good things have happened today. I want to hear about them. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, so I woke up and I, you know, I'm really obsessed about my house right now, changing it. It's the only time I have ever been sort of domestic. And the only time I've, <laughs> so I'm learning about all this interior design. And um, I realized that there's a bookshelf right over there. We're going to move the, all the books out of there. There was a bunch of shelving that we were going to give away, but I realized actually it's perfect for putting all the books in the dining room because we're making that like a little library. And um, so I told my partner, Brian, about this idea, and we're going to hang all his instruments up there. He has loads of instruments. And he's like, yeah, I'm totally into it. So <laughs> I was really, really pleased about that. Uh, just like everything is taking shape. And, you know... Um, I started reading this book. What's it called? It's by Alexandra Stoddard, and it's um, it's about it's about interior design. But I swear, it's like the bright way version of it. Oh wow! It's unbelievable. What she? I mean, she's she wrote this in 1999, and oh, wow. Brian happened to have this book, but I never read it before. But you know, I, I got out his collection of interior design books, started reading. And I think you would love this book because she talks all about the space that you're in. And I do talk about that a little bit in the book, but more just on a very basic level. She's talking about how when you're at your space at home, really it's when you can have your deepest thoughts and when you can feel most yourself. So make your home reflect you. You don't need to make your house... Um, in the eyes of others. Yeah, make, make it, it for you. Make it for you. And in fact, when people come into your house, they will know you. And that's what they want, ultimately. And I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I'm all about. I love uh, yeah, this. I love that. I do. I believe yeah. in that 100%. You know, 
we do try to do that. We, you know, with a family, everybody's got their own kind of vibe going. And so finding some kind of, uh, some harmony in that can be a challenge, but we've, we do feel like we've got that, you know, and that's something that you don't realize is a value until someone visits your space. And then you realize that it actually is indicative of, of who you are, what you believe, what you practice. And when they comment on it, and I hate to say, I hate to use the word pride, but I mean, you get a little sense of, I guess, in a, a, a good type of pride that, yeah. that you are properly presenting uh, your space or that That's yourself right. through your space, right? They see who you are. There's no hidden elements. You're not trying to hide some part right. of yourself it's, within the space. Because really, that does happen, right? Yeah, you're really connected with them. Yeah, you're um, connecting honestly and, and showing who you truly are. It's a form of intimacy. And I think you should be proud of it. You know, uh, step five in, of the system is fulfillment. And this is where you ah, celebrate your successes and you say, I'm it. really pleased about that. And, you know, the more that you celebrate your successes genuinely and just feel, yeah, I'm really happy that happened. I feel really good about this. You know, People fear, oh, it'll make me arrogant. It's the opposite. It actually makes you happier for other people. When you feel good about yourself, then you're so much more inclined to be able to celebrate other people's successes. You know, their successes are not a threat to you or a sign that you didn't do so well or whatever, you know, because you feel good about yourself. You've already celebrated your fulfillment and filled up with all of that. Um, it actually makes you... Uh, less arrogant. It's funny. People think it's going to make you arrogant. It doesn't. It's the opposite. Well, I want to celebrate success right here at the end of the show because when oh I started goodness. this, yeah, because when I started this show, you know, it's been out. We've been doing this for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. And I had in my mind a vision that I would be talking to people like you, that I, this is exactly what I wanted to do, you know, is, is talk to people that are doing exactly what you're doing and be able to share these things with just people in the world. You know, there's enough negative stuff in the world. You can have that anytime right. on any channel. I just wanted to make a place where people could dip in every once in a while and learn something new, something good and meet people that are, were actually out in the world Doing exactly what you're doing, and I get to do that. So yeah, I want to celebrate that. I need to remember to be, let that fulfill me, and actually yes. celebrate being fulfilled by that actually coming to fruition. It's really important what you're doing. It, it well, really changes changes the vibration to something beautiful. That's what we want to do. Change the signal, retune the dials just a little bit. That's right. So Diana, where? Can people get your book? I mean, I know you can get it. I found it just about everywhere. But do you have a particular place that you prefer people to purchase the book? Um, well, you know, right now, because of the whole situation, uh, Amazon has deprioritized books. So yeah. it's actually very, very slow to ship. So unless you get it uh, by Kindle, which you can, yep. uh, which delivers immediately, I, if you would like a hard copy, which, which I do kind of recommend, I have to say, because there are a lot of images and interactive images, like graphs that you use and you trace. Uh, my graphic designer, Vlad, uh, did all these beautiful beautiful drawings. So, um, and there's also a lot of space in the book for you to be able to write. And so if you have a physical book, you can get it at Barnes and Noble. And I believe they're doing the whole curbside pickup thing. So they're pretty fast. Oh, great. 
Yep. And uh, the other source is IndieBound.org. IndieBound. IndieBound okay. is for uh, all the independent bookstores. So Excellent. it's kind of a clearinghouse of the um, independent bookstores. And when you get on there, you put in your zip code and it'll show who are the local ones. Oh, that that's great. Yeah. I've never used that one, actually. I've uh, I used this website called bookshop.org, and I, I think it's similar, perhaps, but they mm – -hmm. um, I think they just give money back to the bookstores somehow. It's somehow they're okay. raising money. It's similar, but IndieBound. I'm going to check that out. I'm going to add that to yeah. my to my list of places to shop because I do I do I have bought books on Amazon, but I I tend to prefer to you know if I can support a local shop somehow. Totally. Like yeah. To Good stuff. Right. The book is the bright way: five steps to freeing the creative within. Diana. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I so enjoyed it. I looked at the time and I was like, what? An hour and 45 minutes passed. I have, I have no idea where the time went. I'm more thankful every moment that I found Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Diana Rowan. If you'd like to experience her book, The Bright Way, make sure to visit the links in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, Consider helping me spread the good news by supporting Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news signal.